Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And we're going to do it by going to Ecclesiastes. And we've gotten all the way up to uh, the end of chapter 7, which we worked on this morning, uh, going through that. And we got uh, at least to verse 22. And uh, I'm sure that I'm letting people in on a lot of ideas that you would not normally find in a normal Bible study. Uh, you can you can read the English translation, and you can read the the Hebrew if you know Hebrew, and uh, you can even read the Greek because they have translated it into the Greek. And it's interesting sometimes to compare the Greek to the Hebrew and to the English, because when you translate. Any, any document from one language to another, it doesn't translate over perfectly. There'll be little nuances where you have to add a little word here or, or fudge a little bit on a definition or to get the sentences to come through. But if you also read it in history or read it in the context of the whole Bible, that can give you some insight. And that's what we're trying to do is when we go through this, we're trying to relate what we're seeing in the biblical text to the whole Bible, to the whole gospel of the kingdom, to the, you know, we talk about the gospel of the king. Oh, we're all done away with the Old Testament. And now we're into the New Testament. Everything is completely different. Well, God's the same. So, no, everything is not completely different. Anybody even insinuates that everything is completely different is probably don't doesn't know what they're talking about. Because Christ was quoting Moses all the time. And he's trying to teach you the song of the Lamb, which is the song of Moses. Which is why the 144,000 that is prophesied in the New Testament in Revelations knows the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Because those songs are harmonious. They are basically the same song. Slightly different. But harmonizing. And and I'm not, you know, suggesting by any way that somehow Christ and Moses are equal. They would tell you no, Christ is way better than Moses. Moses would tell you that. But uh, that doesn't mean you're better <laughs> than the Israelites. Or certainly not better than John the Baptist, who was a Jew. But most of the Jews at that time were going the wrong way. They would set up a system of Corbin, run through the state where people had to pay in and 
they paid in, and they had guys who collected from the people who were members of the system of Corbin set up by Herod. Because he sent ministers all over the Roman Empire to get Jews to sign up with his system of Corbin. But he had two systems of Corbin. Because the Romans knew what Corbin was. So, Herod also created the Temple of Roma, which had a system of Corbin in it. It also had a treasury. And if you if you did certain things well uh, and, and paid in the significant amount that you should pay in out of what you produce every year, the Temple of Roma would prosper. And it would have a reserve fund in there all the time. So if you had certain needs, they could pay it out. And this was all written up and regulated by the priests of the Temple of Roma. Just as that was regulated by the priests of the Temple of in Jerusalem. So who did it? Well, the I couldn't really tell you who it was in the Temple of Roma. But they had some sort of like board of directors or senate type body that would regulate. They would they would account for how much money is coming in, how much funds is coming in, how much is already there, and what the needs were. And as the needs came in, you know, they would pay out accordingly. It was a system of social insurance. And when I was going through Jordan Peterson's group and symposium, that was one of the things that I I was just shocked at. They actually thought that they had no social safety net. Jonathan Peugeot said, well, they didn't have a system, a, a social safety net in those days. But that is exactly what they had. They had several different kinds. Basically, two different categories. One was a system based on free will offerings. And the other one was a system based on forced offerings. But the forced offering system, you had to sign up for it. Or sometimes you had to sign up for it or get out of town. And see, that's why thousands of Jews were kicked out of Rome. Because... They were Christian Jews. And they wouldn't sign up for the Corbin of Rome. They had their own system. And their system had come into a little bit of a question because the Pharisees back there were still claiming to have a system which of which the Christians could not eat. But Christians were actually working daily in the temple, rightly dividing the bread from house to house. That was the system of social welfare. But the Christian system of social welfare, run by the Christians, by the followers of Christ, by the Sanhedrin of Christ, which was the 70 that he picked early on, and the 12 apostles, his little flock, to whom he appointed a kingdom, I mean, like, if if 
one of the 70 in the Sanhedrin died or or retired or became senile or was persecuted who picked the next Sanhedrin who picked the next group to be the next Sanhedrin you know the, the his replacement did the Sanhedrin pick the next group or was and even if they did maybe they said well we want to have this guy we think this guy is really good and we want to have this guy does somebody have to approve that guy that was picked does it go out to a vote of all the people then it would be some sort of democracy or is it approved by the apostles because it was the little flock that he appointed the kingdom. And we see later on when they're having trouble getting aid to the Greeks. And they said that, you know, there are Greeks being neglected on the daily ministration. You know, that rightly dividing the bread. Because if you look at a map of the Roman Empire, when they had these dursts, which they mentioned in Acts, that swept across the Roman Empire, it hit Greece before it hit Judea. And so there were shortages of food in, you know, Greece, and, and specifically in parts of Greece that were far from ports. And so they needed to get aid up to those areas because people were going to be going hungry. I mean, they they, they didn't have enough grain to and, and other foods because there was this famine that was spreading across. Food was getting in a short supply. So, I mean, Rome was shipping grain to those areas, like they had always done. Like I said, Caesar was shipping grain to Judea. And and sometimes they would have excess grain in Rome, and so they would ship some of it to Judea. I mean, they had ships going down probably to Egypt anyway. And so they put some grain on those ships, and they brought it by and stopped in Judea unloaded some of that stuff and loaded up other stuff and then because nobody was going to buy grain in Egypt but they might buy other things and Judea was kind of on the trade routes because there'd be stuff coming across the land and you know maybe it was salt uh, you know whatever the commodities were that would be an interesting study to see what kind of commodities were on board these I mean we have ship manifests we know what was on some of those ships. And the, and the Romans had lots of ships. They weren't little ships. Some of them were huge. Had, you know, would carry thousands and thousands of tons. You know, they didn't just buy grain from Egypt. They also bought stone. And they probably bought stone from other places, but they shipped that stone on board these ships. They had a way of loading that stone. But anyway, so the ships going down to Egypt might bring some extra grain and and bring it to a port and unload it at one of their uh, loading yards where they might have grain silos and store the grain there. And that, then they might have guys who actually bake the bread. Whole industries of baking bread. Because this is really important because 
For Caesar to remain in power, he had to keep the, the populace happy. And one of the ways to do that was give them gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And of course, we've given you the history already of Julius Caesar, how he was doing that before he was even the first emperor. And he never actually made it to the first emperor. He was a commander-in-chief, but only of his military, not of all the military. But he wanted to become the imperator of all Roman military. And they said that, well, that would end the republic. And so they, you know, stabbed him at Tubute. They, they knew that if all the military power, and, and there were rules about even bringing the military power into Rome. You weren't supposed to do that. We have those same rules in America today. Today, I don't think they have it in Canada. I don't know what they have, but you'd have to look it up. Or Australia. But you can't use the U.S. military for law enforcement. Not supposed to do that. I suspect that that rule will be broken. And so a great deal of the U.S. military is also United Nations. Because, you know, I, I, I knew the lawyer, personally knew the lawyers, who represented, uh, I can't remember his name, but, uh, when everybody else was told to take your U.S. flag insignia off your uniform, put on the U.N. insignia, they were ordered to do this. U.S. soldiers were ordered to do this and put on a blue helmet and become a part of the United Nations. He said, no, I'm not doing it. And he walked out on the tarmac and he was still wearing the red, white, and blue. Everybody else said, rip that off and put on the UN blue. You know, the UN insignia and blue helmets. And he was court-martialed. And he took it to court. And I knew, personally knew the lawyer, Herbert Titus. have had lots of conversations with Herbert, who is retired. I'm not even sure if he's alive. I still get a, I still get a Christmas card from the firm that he was... Uh, part of and that really wasn't a firm that's another whole story but uh, it was a group of lawyers who appear in front of the Supreme Court all the time but uh, he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't do that he, he thought that was because he would go under the generals of the United Nation now he would have to obey all their rules and wherever the United Nations sent soldiers he, he could be sent there to do their bidding. See, when we went over in World War One, General Sherman, they, the French thought, well, your, your soldiers are going to be here now and they're going to help us, so now your soldiers will be under French generals. Sherman said, no, they're not. American soldiers are under American generals. You want us to do something, you talk to us. But it hadn't been that way in the U.S. military for a long time. It was pretty much that way during World War II. But they were kind of fudging the boundaries. But by the time you got to Afghanistan and Iraq, that was all gone. I mean, if you shipped a, a, a religious medal or a Bible to one of your, you know, your son or your brother or something like that, and he was serving in Iraq... They wouldn't make it. Somebody in Iraq, some, or in 
Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia would remove that Bible from the mail. They would open your mail and make sure that you weren't sending any religious artifacts to the soldiers. Now they were, they were, lives were on the line where they might die defending Saudi Arabia, defending the Iraqis, defending the Afghanis or whatever we were doing over there. The United States Army was doing over there. But you couldn't have your religious medals sent home by your family. You couldn't receive those. That would have never been tolerated. But now it was. And so there were soldiers who would not do that. And they were mustered out of the service. The same was true back in the days of Rome. And the same was probably also true at the time of Jeremiah. And we'll get into that at another time. But like I said, we got down to this uh, 22 and let's just look at 21. Also take no heed unto all the words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. And 22, or oft times also thine own heart knoweth that thou thyself likewise hast cursed others. And 23, all this have I proved by wisdom. I said I will be wise, but it was far from me. So, he wanted to be wise, but the wisdom was far from him. Well, what's far from us? Back at the beginning of this I talked about the tree of knowledge. I was setting you up for this very quote here. The the tree of knowledge is not to be the source of our wisdom. It's the tree of life that is the source of our wisdom and we receive that wisdom by way of personal revelation that we have no control over. We can't say God... Reveal to me the truth. I mean, we can say that. But we can't make God do it. Holy Spirit listeth where he wills. But the tree of life is far from us. Christ is far from us. So how do we get it closer? Well, we talked a little bit about that this morning, although you may not have known I was talking about it. But this idea of Knowing the truth because the Holy Spirit reveals it to you. Not your emotions. Not what you learn in catechism. Not the information and knowledge that you learn. Now like I said eventually in, in Ecclesiastes 12.12 12, he even warns you. Uh, when he said, oh, well the words of, of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies which are given from one shepherd. Masters of assembly, but the words are given from one shepherd. And then he says in verse 12 of chapter 12, And further by these my son be admonished of making many books. There is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. 
I've done a lot of studying. I did a lot of studying before I started writing all this information down. But I started writing when I started receiving revelation. When God started saying, look here, look here, look here. I would see these things and I would be compelled to share them. And so that's what we're doing here is we're sharing this. We're reading the text. We're, we're looking at the Hebrew. Sometimes we look at the Greek. We're, we're looking at a little bit of history. Because, as we'll see at the beginning of the next chapter, they talk about interpretation. But the word for interpretation there is actually the word for solution. The Bible is a solution. The way of Christ is the solution. The way of Moses was the solution. They were in bondage. The bondage was getting worse and worse. They were actually, many of them were aborting their children. They were suffering under this bondage. And then all of a sudden God heard their cries. Why? Because they were suffering. Because he said he wasn't going to hear your cries when they take and take and take and take. And so if you were just whining about the fact that they were taken and taken and taken and taken, that's not what God heard. Because he said over and over again in the Testament, of course, you know, literally before, but, but also at the time of Samuel, I will not hear you when he takes and takes and takes and takes. So what? When will he hear you? When you hear the cries of your brother. When you actually come together and start helping. Not to help yourself. Not to save yourself. That's not Christ-like. To save others. So now you know. How to remove the curse. Of the bondage that you're in. Is that you don't save yourself. You know, get your paperwork right. And, you know. And you also don't refuse to pay your taxes. I mean, you're in the bondage of Egypt. You owe your tally of bricks. You pay it. I, I know some people get zealous and want to, you know, get out of the system and they want to cheat on their taxes, but Jesus warns you about that. If you're not faithful in the unrighteous famine, you probably won't be faithful in the righteous man. Now, if you have been unfaithful in the past, so be it. How do we overcome that error? Because, you know, the error of Balaam, and the error of the Nicolaitan, and the error of those who are not friends with the unrighteous man that they find themselves in, those are all errors. Those are stumbling blocks. How do you overcome that? You have to forgive your enemy. Don't curse them. Don't curse anybody else. But you have to start learning to care about others. And so, he says, that which is far off and exceedingly deep, goes down deep to the core of your being, who can find it out? He says, who can find that? Well, in 25, he says, I applied my heart to know and to search, and to seek out wisdom, and the reason of the thing, and to know the wickedness of folly, even the foolishness and madness. I wanted to know that. 
Well, whose foolishness are you going to see? I mean, you can certainly see the foolishness of the world. But can you see your own foolishness? This is the key. You have to see your own foolishness, your own madness, your own wickedness, your own folly. Now, there's a lot of words there. We can look at those words individually. You know, you know what? What? When we look at the wickedness of folly, which is uh, Ecclesiastes seventeen and twenty-five. So, what? What is? What is that? If we look at that in the Hebrew, we can we can see. You know, I applied, and my heart to know. And to search. And to seek out wisdom. We're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, and the reason of things. Remember, divine will, the law of nature, right reason, are convertible phrases. The reason is the cause and effect of what God is bestowing Upon the world through the law that he created when he created the world. It's built into the system. And when he says, and the reason of things, we see the word, wahes bowen. That, that's not the root word. The, the root word is, uh, cheshbon. Chet, shen, biet, uh, Bob Nun. And it means a reckoning or an accounting. That's what it means. So when he says, and the reason of a thing, accounting of a thing, Jesus talks about accounting. Count the cost. Understand what you're up against. And what you're up against is all the armies of the Pharaoh. <laughs> Klaus Schwab, the New World Order, uh, all the crazies out there. From, you know, I won't mention the heads of state that we could say are crazy or insane or, 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 or got serious mental issues. But they're out there. You can look around. You can find them. But how are you going to deal with that? Well, the key is in what they're telling you here. But you have to really listen. And he says, so you want to find out the reason and to know the wickedness and the folly. And, you know, if we look at, in comparison to what we were reading in the text, it says the wickedness, that's uh, reshe. Ah. See, there's lots of words for wickedness. You, you can't just go by one particular, every time you see wicked, it's not wicked. Every time you see the word world, it's not world. Uh, there are all kinds of different words that they put there. So you want to know which one, because there's slightly different connotations. But uh, it's the word Resha. And uh, that's pretty much what you see in the text. They don't add any extra letters. It's Resha. Resh, Shin, Ayan. But it says the wickedness of folly. And, and folly is the word Kessel. And in the word thing that we saw before, that isn't even in the text, but the, the, the word kessel, which is kaf, sumak, uh, lamad, 
actually means loins or flank. That's, that's you know, like your flank state, loins. But, like most Hebrew words, it can mean loins or flank, but it can also mean stupidity or folly. It's translated flank six times, but it's translated hope three times. But it actually doesn't... It means confidence, so you have this hope or confidence in something, but it's it's connected to the idea of confidence in something that is a folly. It is a foolishness. Which is why it says the wickedness of folly, the wickedness of a hope in something that is foolish. Which is why the next word is and even of foolish, which comes from all one word. Which is there in the text. And we're kind of going a little bit deeper into this than maybe you want to go, but I think it's important to at least do it one time because you see this word foolishness and madness and and there is no and there. It's foolishness and madness. And uh, the word is uh, sikluth. But it's what we see there is wehes sikluth which is it begins with this uh, vav, which means and even of foolishness. That's where the and comes from. And uh, and then the, the letter should be sumak, but then they put this hey in there. So it's vav, hey, sumak, kuf, lamad. But then it adds a vav and a tav on the end and even of the foolishness so it has this vav hey and vav tav at the end and they create this word wasik siklut and that's translated and even of foolishness so this wickedness and folly is of foolishness and it appears one time in the bible And that's here in this one verse. It does not appear like this anywhere else in the Bible. And then the other... So so we have very little to compare it to. It has something to do with foolishness. Because it's translated folly five times and foolishness twice. But it's from a word that actually means foolish. That I think is almost spelled the same. No, I think it's spelled differently. Um, yeah, the the word foolish is sumac kof lamad. That's it. That's basically it. And this is given a different strong number and called sumac kof lamad vav tav. But of course here we see it vav hey, and then sumac kof lamad vav tav. So it's a very unique arrangement of words. It has to do with the fact that you're putting your faith in a hope, a folly. That word, remember that word folly also means hope of wickedness. You're hoping that wickedness will save you. Well, that sounds like you're pretty stupid, that wickedness is going to save you. But what is wickedness? Ressa. But see, the Corbin of the Pharisees was wicked. 
It was making the word of God to none effect. And, and they had hope in that Corbin would save them in time of need. When there was a famine. When there was a shortage. When, when your parents needed help. That's why they created these social safety nets. That's what religion was. Religion was this social safety net. So, he wanted to know the reason why people are putting their hope in wickedness and madness. Now, there, there really isn't any word in there for and madness. <laughs> but, uh, there, there is a, a word that we see in the text that they translate madness. And we'll see it in several other places. But it appears only four times in the Bible. And most of the time, I think, if not all of the time, in Ecclesiastes. And, you know, it's it's given a big, long uh, spelling where it actually has a double Lamad in it. And remember, whenever whenever I talk about double letters, we have a whole section on double letters. I should probably add this if I don't already have this word in there. Uh, a double Lamad would mean in spirit and truth. That's usually why they put in a double letter. That And remember what he said a few verses ago, that it goes very deep. When you're talking about going very deep, you're talking about not just physically on the surface, but very deep spiritually. So this madness is spiritual. It's not just physical madness. It's spiritual madness. And so... The the actual word there for madness is halal, which is hey lamad lamad, and it's actually translated praise. That is the word for praise, and it it is actually defined as the word for shine. So the word madness, halal, hey lamad lamad is translated madness four times. But it's from the word halal, hey, lamad, lamad, which means praise or glory. I mean, 117 times it's translated praise. And 14 times glory. Uh, 10 times boast. But mad, eight times. So, the and I'll lay you odds that the places where it's translated mad, there's an extra letter. But here there's quite a few extra letters, so much so that they actually gave it a different number, a different Strong's number. But it's basically, hey, lamad, lamad. But they put the vav between the hey and the lamad, lamad. It's a division. Hey is this emphasis word, lamad, lamad. Something is dividing you from the hay. And then they put another vav. So the, the lamad lamad is divided both from the hay and from the tav. And tav, of course, is the letter of faith. So where there is no faith, there's madness. But this is madness in both this world and in the spiritual world. 
And now when you look out at the liberal woke crowd, you're seeing them do such crazy things. We go through a big long list of crazy things. I'm always getting things in my news feed or on Facebook or some some other crazy thing they're doing. It's because they live in darkness. They've been cut off from the divine spark. They've been cut off from the light. Remember, the actual definition of hey, Lamad Lamad, even though it's translated praise, it actually means to shine. And what what shines? Light shines. So it you're cut off from the shine. You're cut off from the light. And you live in darkness. All that's contained in this one verse of 725. So I applied my heart to know and to search and to seek out wisdom and the reason and to know the wickedness of hope or folly in the foolishness and madness and all that of the world. And what is that? That people actually believe that they can be saved because they set up a system of social welfare to men who exercise authority and force the contributions of their neighbor or even strangers. People they don't even know. Because that's how Julius Caesar did it. He was attacking the Gauls. And, and we list off all the different tribes. The Gauls is a wide range of people. He was attacking their their when they were moving with their families. And, and firebombing them as they were traveling to different valleys with their families and their children and their women. And blocking so they couldn't get across the river. And then firebombing them. They weren't invading anywhere. They were trying to go to another area because there was a problem where they had been. And there was a lot of empty places to go. They weren't attacking. But Caesar was attacking them. And the reports of this, there must have been whistleblowers even back then, got back that he was goading these people into a fight so they could destroy them. Kill all the men and sell the women and children into slavery. He already had the slave market set up. He already had the connections to ship these people right off to slavery in North Africa. And there were plenty of people in North Africa that were willing to buy white slaves, Gauls. Just as later on in centuries, the Corsairs were raiding Ireland. They found the the white women fair and you could get a good price for them in North Africa. And that's what he was doing. And he would take the money that he got from selling those slaves and he also, he bought the Teutonic armies or, you know, some cavalry from the Teutons who were willing to sell their services to Caesar and then later had to fight Caesar. But a great deal of what he was collecting he didn't collect it for himself. He sent it to the Roman people to give them gifts, gratuities, and benefits. Which is why Plutarch said that the man who first ruined the Roman people was he who first gave them treats 
and gratuities. But his, his mischief crept in secretly and gradually in and did not openly make its appearance in Rome for a considerable time. See, Julius Caesar's career started as a priest of the Temple of Jupiter, which was in charge of the social welfare of Rome. And he was able to collect, you know, because they had enterprises that they had that would be profitable, and he he didn't keep any of it for himself. He kept always applying benefits to the people. And they loved him. But eventually he had to kind of leave Rome, leave that, and he went into the military. He had a lot of military background because I mean, he was still pretty young at the time. But his own uncle had reorganized the Roman army and so he was very familiar with the process. And so and I became this general. But the money he made as a general, he filtered back through all the people he knew back there in the Temple of Jupiter and bestowed all kinds of gifts, gratuities, and benefits upon the people so that when he finally came back and the whistleblower said, he's been committing these crimes. They said, oh my gosh, we need to arrest him and try him for war crimes against the Gauls. But they didn't. They didn't, they didn't prosecute him. Whoever they had back then who was their investigative law people evidently overlooked his crimes. Have you seen anywhere in the world today where somebody has committed criminal offenses in a big way? You know, like taking millions and millions of dollars in bribes. And doing, uh, you know, like, if if you don't do what I want you to do, you're not going to get this government money. A billion dollars, say. Anybody you know who's been doing that, that would be a crime. That would be a violation of the law. Uh, they're taking millions of dollars in bribes. If you don't give us these bribes, and, and we know where a great deal of the money went. And so, of course, that person would be immediately arrested and prosecuted for crimes against all of society because they're using your money to get more money for themselves. They're not, they're not doing the job of government. That, that is corruption right to the core. And if you saw that, of course, immediately the FBI would arrest them, the, uh, uh, Marshals uh, and the judicial departments of the United States would see that. That's a crime. And the whistleblowers would come out and say, yeah, they, they, I, I wanted to be a special prosecutor. I, I saw this, the, the money here and the documents over here and I wanted to go get it and get a search warrant. They said that we can't give you a search warrant for a month. And in the meantime, while he's waiting for his month to go by, so he could get a search warrant, they call the lawyers of the criminal and say that they're on to you. You and in a month we're going to issue a search warrant to go to this place where they believe the evidence that they're looking for is at. So you got you got thirty day notice <laughs> to get out of dodge, to get out of crime. You know. 
I, I saw a video of uh, uh, Biden, Senator Biden, was had passed a, got a law passed where if you had just a quarter, a quarter's worth of cocaine, I mean, you, your cocaine amounted to an amount smaller than a quarter. If you got that caught, having that in your possession, not not videoing it, you smoking it, but just in your possession. You go straight to jail, mandatory jail time. All your money can be seized. All your property can be seized in civil forfeiture. And they did this to thousands of people for years and years and years. But now they don't do that because of corruption. But I just bring that up because the same thing was going on in Rome. They knew these were war crimes against the Gauls. But they were profiting from it. I mean, he was going to pay off everybody's student loans. You can't hardly forget that. Although the Supreme Court seems to have stopped him from doing that. But he certainly promised it and everybody said, oh, okay, okay, he's going to give us this and he's going to give us that. And, you know, Everybody's fallen for the media. Who was the media back in the time of Rome? The temples. The temples were your media. I mean, there's word of mouth going around. But the temples had the pulpits. They had the, I mean, like the temple at Ephesus was built by 127 different countries and had seating for over a thousand people. And when they were there, you know, it was built so that you could hear what they had to say. And we see that with Paul when he's there. They have they had a whole amphitheater built so that a guy could stand up there and talk and everybody could hear him. You know, because it's all round and it's kind of shielded and, and so they could hear him. That's how they got the news and then it went word of mouth after that. But it was through the social safety net because everybody wanted to know what's happening with the social safety net. And that's why they hated the Christians. Because some of the people that were funding the social safety net at Ephesus were now being converted to Christianity. And so they were going to fund a different religion because they saw corruption in the temple at Ephesus. And we've talked a lot about that. But that's... This in Ecclesiastes, he wants to know the madness. He wants to know the folly. But people are putting their hopes in these systems, in these temples, but they're based on taking away from your neighbor or somebody you don't know. You know, it's the red button. You push this button, somebody somewhere dies, loses their life. But you get a billion dollars. Will you push the button? Well, most people push the button on a regular basis. They don't maybe kill somebody outright. But right now we know that starvation in the world is up since COVID, since before COVID. Starvation, people actually starving in the world is up 20 to 25% over what it was before COVID. And and there's going to be even more starving. But this is all not the result of a flu virus. 
but it's the result of the shutdowns. And if you haven't figured out right by now, the shutdowns were a bad idea. But some people thought they were a good idea, even though most of the top virologists in the world were saying it's a bad idea. That if you want herd immunity, you can't shut down. You can you can shut down your convalescent homes because those people are extremely vulnerable. People that you know already have a couple of morbidities and you know they have weak lungs and you know isolate those people. You don't isolate the healthy. You don't mask the children because as soon as they get immune, I mean most people who got coronavirus. We know this. This is what the doctors are saying. This is what the science says. Most people that got coronavirus never showed a symptom. If they never showed a symptom and got immune, they were adding to herd immunity almost immediately. Now, the virus will change and then other people will get sick. But there there was a long list of things you could do to improve your health so that you were less likely to even get sick. Because it isn't the virus that makes you sick. It's you that makes you sick. People who say, there is no virus. No, that's not true. There is a virus. There is an exosome. And it was foreign in origin. It it wasn't from a bat. I mean, somewhere you might be able to trace it back to a bat, but it was manufactured in a laboratory. But you manufacture exosomes every day, by the millions, by the billions. Some of them only live for a matter of minutes. Some of them will circulate in your system for hours. But they will touch other cells and those cells will manufacture more of those exosomes. That's cellular communication. That goes on all the time. That's natural. But occasionally your body begins to replicate an exosome that's not from you because it looks too much like your exosome. And then your body recognizes that and starts turning off those cells and that's where you get sick. Your body is making you sick by either overreacting or reacting late to uh, some illness that you got. But, uh, you know, some sort of infection, something got in you and you, your body didn't stop it. And it actually got your body to produce more of it. Because you, you can't breathe in enough viruses to make you sick. Your body has to start replicating. Many people knew not to replicate. Their body had innate immunity and they, they never even got even slightly sick. And they had immunity. And that's the body you want. And there's things you can do to get close to that. But that's where your salvation is at. And, and, but people didn't want, you know, and, and many immunologists know that's the case. But they had something else in mind. I just saw a, a TV show that uh, is years old. Because I know some of the actors in it. For some reason, I just saw it and I said, what, what is that? Because... There was a there was an old old show called V, and this is evidently some sort of a remake. But I know that some of the stars in it are much older now, so it, I, I don't know when it was made. But uh, it it's V, and uh, I I only saw a couple of episodes, and uh, but the premise was 
that aliens, reptilian aliens, who somehow or other have cloaked themselves in what looks like human skin. I, I, don't, I don't know how it all works or anything. I just saw a little bit of the show. It's science fiction, obviously, because there are no reptilians, right? I mean, like, that, that would be crazy, right? But anyway, in the show, there's reptilians. And, you know, and they have, you know, they can roll back their eye and they have slitted eyes and everything. And evidently reptilian skin under their skin. But their plan was to put something in a flu vaccine that will genetically alter mankind and then get all mankind to take the shot by creating some sort of a pandemic and they come up with the cure. Wow. (laughs) It's an old show. Evidently Klaus watched that show years ago. (laughs) Got gave him some ideas. I don't know. So I mean it'll be like, you know, I can imagine someday. Who would have thought that somebody would actually slip a DNA altering content in a flu vaccine? Who would have thought that somebody would do something so diabolically and so crazy? I've already seen two old shows where that was the premise of the show. (laughs) And both of them had as their goal to decrease the human population so that they could take over the world. (laughs) I mean, I didn't make it up. That's the TV show. But you don't need to see the TV show. You don't need to have spies that go out and find out is this really happening or anything thing like that. What you need to do is have the tree of life next door to you or in your midst and be eating of that tree. And that's what Ecclesiastes is trying to teach you how to do that. So he's talked about this wickedness of folly, this this wickedness of hope, or the hope in wickedness, and to indulge in foolishness that leads to madness. And of course, back to the quote from Polybius, that if you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, whether they be Gaul or Roman, you will degenerate into perfect savages, finding once more a monarch and a king. That's that's where it will take you. We've known that for thousands of years. I mean, you, you see, uh, Polybius said that 150 years before Christ. Plutarch said what he said at the time of Christ. But Ecclesiastes said said it even long before that. So, why don't we know it? Is it because we've been living in darkness? We've been seduced by a harlot to live in darkness? Well, what's the next verse? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, see, I'm kind of leading you into this. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is a snare and nets, snares and nets, and her hands as bands, 
who pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. So, whoso pleaseth God, lives by faith, hope, and charity, in the perfect law of liberty, will escape from her. But the sinner who consents, or is the foolish virgin, or whatever, because, see, the foolish virgin is like the rich man who gets his freedom for himself so that he can dance and play. That's the foolish virgin. And and Ecclesiastes already said that the guy who gets his wealth for himself, not for others, for the benefit of others, that guy hurts himself because he he's still selfish. He's he's free of the woman, but he's still selfish. He he's those Israelites who did not follow Moses, who went another way. They didn't go down the wadi. They said, "Well, we're not going down. There's nothing down there. You're going to get to the Gulf of Aqaba, and you can't get across. We'll be trapped." I'm not going that way. I'm going north along the regular route. We don't know what happened to them. Never heard from them again. So, I mean, those are the foolish virgins. They were out. They were free from Egypt. But they didn't go the way of God. They didn't go the way of Moses. They went another way. They went their own way. I'm telling you what the way of Christ is. The way of Christ is you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and you start taking care of one another. Not with the folly of wickedness, but with real hope in God. An unseen God. No guarantee, no entitlement. Where you lay down your life daily. That's another way. But see, you lay down that life daily, you're sacrificing daily. Sacrificing daily. You're not sacrificing when there's a need that you can see or, or somebody begs you for money or whatever, you sacrifice because it's in your nature to sacrifice. You know, there's a scene where where somebody supposedly wakes up, one of the apostles wake up, at least it's in the movies, and there's kind of a reference to it in the Bible. And his coat is gone. Somebody, somebody stole his cloak. And, and he's like getting all upset because somebody stole my cloak. And so Jesus says, here, take mine. <laughs> and you go, oh no, I don't, I don't want to take yours, Lord. You have to be willing to receive help when it comes. Everybody should know that. Very important that you're willing to receive. Now you can examine the gift. I mean, from the point of view of intent. But... If you have a need and somebody wants to give, they have a need to give too. Don't stifle them in their need to give. That warning's going out to somebody. I don't know who. But uh, anyway, this woman that is a snare and a trap. Now we see the snare, snares and nets. Now we can look at those words, snares and nets. What, what are those words? How are, what, what are they translated from? Snares is uh, the common word for snares. Metzod is the is the common word for snares. You see, it's uh, 
it's actually translated net twice and snare once. So it's translated snare here, but it can actually mean bulwark or munitions. It's not the common word for snare that it's from. is sud, which actually is the word for hunt. So, who's the mighty hunter before the Lord? Well, that's Nimrod. But this is a woman. This is a Nimrod. So, what's going on here? Who who's hunting who here? What's what's actually going? What is actually the process? So, the the word that actually we see translated snare is actually the word that should normally be translated net, but it's translated snare. Because evidently, because the word that is translated net is a different word, which is, with a different spelling, is cherem, which is normally translated net. So both those words are commonly translated net. Both of them are very distinctly different. They have different letters. One is uh, tzedek, delet, hey. But they put the mim on the front, so it's mim, tzedek, delet, hey. And the other one is cherim, which is chet, resh, mim. And it means uh, a thing devoted, things dedicated, uh, things that are bound, banned, a net, a thing perforated. So, uh, when it says perforated, that means part of it's missing, but part of it's gone, there's holes in it. So, if we go to the actual, let's be verse 26, because I'm pulling up, because if you just look at the concordance, they won't give you the extra letters. So, I wanted to pull it up and see what the extra letters are. And, of course, they do have extra letters in here. Mem, Tzedek, Vav, Delet, Yod, Mem, for the word they translated as snares, and the word they Translated to nets, which can mean nets. And it starts with a vav, so it's and nets. So it's, it's nets and nets. But it's a different word for net. And it's, uh, chet, resh, mem, yod, mem. So both end in the yod, mem, which is added onto them. And it says snares and nets. And why the yod, mem? Because it's binding your heart. It's binding your loyalty. It's binding your allegiance. Which is why the next word that these nets, these snares and nets, are bonds. Asurim, which is Elif, Somak, Vavresh, Yad, Mem. Asurim. Yeah, it's only in this one place. It's the only place that you find it. And in... The New American Standard and the International, they don't translate it as bands. They translate it as chains. So, you know, I have two articles up. Social bonds and the bands. Now, one of the bands that are commonly connecting people is oaths, uh, uh, swearing allegiance, applications for benefits at the expense of others. All these things bind you. You know, you say, okay, I will be, I will belong to Pharaoh. A portion of my labor is going to belong to Pharaoh, but then he's going to give me free bread when there's a famine. 
and but I have to give him a portion of my labor, and supposedly that portion keeps restoring up the granaries at the temple so that there will be grain if there is a famine. This is a big problem. Because while there are floods from the Nile on a regular basis, they didn't come all the time. We know that because they had seven years in a row where the floods didn't come. And there was a famine. I mean, food ran out everywhere. Millions would have died if it wasn't for all the grain that he put up during the good years. So it's a a very practical thing to do. And, And he did it with his own effort and money. He didn't tax everybody. The people of Egypt weren't taxed by him until after the famine. After the famine, all the people of Egypt owed 20% of their labor to the Pharaoh. Before the famine, no, they did not. Now, he probably had lots of people working for him. He was wealthier than most and all this. But he didn't have the power over the people's labor. There was no income tax until after the famine. Now, there's no income tax in the United States until after the Depression. But the problem was, is the depression was, I mean, we had depressions from time to time for the first hundred years of America because there would be ups and downs in economies. Because all of a sudden you'd have a surplus and you'd have a less and you'd have a dust bowl and you'd have a drought or you'd have a war. And so things we didn't always pan out, but we always got by and we all got better and never did the government try to help us. But they tried to help you in 1929. But they also caused the depression. Because the depression was caused by the Federal Reserve. And by the actions of the Federal Reserve. Who printed all kinds of money and put it into circulation. And then all of a sudden tightened the money supply. And that's that's what brings a depression. Also, Everybody's growing grain. All of a sudden a lot of crops fail. And the grain supply contracts. And now... People have money buy up all the grain and now there's not enough. Usually, there's always been enough grain grown every year in India that nobody in India ever had to starve. But back in the 50s, they were starving on a regular basis. But it wasn't because they didn't grow enough rice or grain. It's because of distribution. And so they needed some way to guarantee that distribution. So the rich men were selling grain abroad and we were shipping grain over at U.S. tax dollar expense to be distributed amongst the poor. Because the Indian caste system didn't allow them to feed their own poor. Which is why, even though there's a billion people in India today, there's going to be half a billion in the future. Maybe less. Because they still have the caste system. They have need of repentance. Because in the kingdom of God, you take care of the needy of your society through redistribution of wealth. But the redistribution of wealth is not through legal charity, but through fervent charity. Because you have the nature of Christ in your heart. You're going to automatic, fervent charity is that you're just automatically going to give. You're not just going to give because you see a need. You're going to give because you have a need to give. That's the way it works. And if that's not the way it's working in your life, then you don't have the solution, the the proper interpretation. So, this net, you can escape the net 
if you do what God says. But uh, if you're already caught in the net, you may have to do a little bit more to break the bands that have bound you. And of course, God arranged the breaking of the bands because he, he, he's going to talk about that, especially in Jeremiah, that he breaks the bands in Egypt that has them bound into slavery. And we see that in Exodus. Jordan Peterson Symposium didn't see it. I mean, they did to some degree, but they didn't quite see how it works. So, in 27, Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account. Remember I said that there there was another word there that uh, means account or reasoning or reckoning? Well, that, that word is reason. Just uh, bound. He wanted to know the reason. He wanted to know the accounting. He wanted to know what what is owed and what is not owed and why is it owed and what foolishness brought this bondage about. He wanted to know how it works. And of course we're telling you how it works. So, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. So what do they mean? Many inventions. The word inventions there is also translated engine, device. It only appears twice. One of them is here in this verse in Ecclesiastes. Second Chronicles 26.15 it says, And he made in Jerusalem engines invented by cunning to be on the towers and upon the bulwarks to shoot arrows and great stones with all and his name spread far abroad. So he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So that was, I'll have to go read that whole chapter. But that was translated engines. But here it's translated inventions. And it's from a word that is a lot more common, which is uh, Chazab. And is normally translated count or uh, device or imagine or cunning. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like one of those words, crafts of state, that I talked about, which ended up bringing the people into a more and more rigorous bondage. So, so much so that they were actually aborting their children. They were casting out their brephos, their, their fetuses. And they would actually throw their children into the Nile rather than suffer them to live because the tax burden was so great. Because even though the child was just an infant, you were now responsible for an extra man in the household. I don't know at what time that kicked in, but that's that's what they've done in order to bring a rigor on the people. So they... And, and the reality is that's what's going on today. I mean, most abortions are a matter of economics. A lot of them are convenience. But they say, well, I can't afford it. 
Well, one of the reasons you can't afford it is because you're not married. And one of the reasons you're not married is because you were told that the family is superfluous. And you were told that it's always been a philosophy of the communists. But families, strong networks of families, an enemy of tyrants. Tyrants don't want to see strong families. They want to see large numbers of children, but they want them all educated in their public schools. So they become the, the, the willing working masses. So this invention uh, that we see here in 29 is uh, lo, this one have I found that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions, many devices whereby they could create these bands and bonds and bring their brothers into bondage underneath them. So anyway, now we're at uh, chapter 8 and it begins with who is wise man and who knoweth the interpretation, which again is the solution of a thing. A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. Remember that, that word shine that we were talking about before. And the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee, keep the king's commandment and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight. Stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever he pleaseth him. So, he's warning you about kings. Of course, this is an Ecclesiastes, and we've already had, you know, Samuel uh, 8, telling you that, you know, this king deal is not a good idea, but you still have to do what the king says. But, you can also do what another king said. Learn to love one another. See, when John the Baptist was teaching the way of John the Baptist. He wasn't necessarily getting people out of the system of the world. Everybody didn't sign up with Herod, but those who didn't sign up with Herod, many of them signed up with, like the Essenes, who had a system of charity. And it was voluntary contributions. They didn't have a central treasury, but they had a strong network where they took care of the needy amongst themselves. And we should be doing that, building that network. Not simply because we're going to need it, but because it will change us. So, he counsels you to keep the king's commandments. Jesus counseled you to keep the king's commandments. Moses said, pay your tally of bricks. But he said, start gleaning in the field at night for your straw. Start taking care of one another. Start providing for one another. Start hearing the cries of your brother. This this is how you break the bands. You you don't have the power to do it. You can fill out all the paperwork you want. You can pretend all you want. But you don't have the power to set yourself free. You have the power to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And if you seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness, you might you might be set free 
when God dissolves the bands which have connected you with another. If you think you can just do it yourself because you've studied... Uh, okay, we got all kinds of callers there. So, anyway, I am through the first hour, and then some. And I'm not going to start chapter 8. We're going to save that. So, if you want to ask a question in the queue, you have to push 1, and I'll see you raise your hand. Otherwise, uh, I actually ended up staying up almost all last night. I went to bed around 4 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And uh, got up and changed lines around... uh, Well, I had them changed by more than 6. So I was I was up pretty early. Uh, and then we have a clock that the hand slips on. It's a real old clock. It's over 100 years old. It used to be in Ireland on my grandfather's wall, great-great-grandfather's wall. And it slips. And I looked at the clock, and it said that it was after 7. And I, I knew I had to finish my notes. <laughs> and so I quickly came in here and started finishing my notes. And I was shutting the doors and getting ready to go on the air and everything. And my wife said, uh, you know, it's it's not seven yet. <laughs> so, and I realized, I looked at my computer clock here and I realized, oh my gosh, I had mistaken the time. So, anyway, we just lost a couple callers. I, I'm not sure why that is, but I still see callers there. I'll open up the chat room too. If anybody wants to type in, if you're listening online... You can you can open up the chat room. You can type in a question in the chat room, and I should see it. And so, anyway, we've seen all the way up through eight, and I, I really want to go over those notes. I'm going to add more to the notes at seven, and then maybe next week we'll get through eight, maybe even nine. Although eight's, you know, it's seventeen verses. It's not as as big as the one we just went through that had I think twenty nine verses. But it all depends on the content of what's in it. I did have a few conversations with people online just this week. And, and I mentioned them this morning where somebody was talking about capitalism as if capitalism was bad. And they're talking about Ezra Pound. And I know the guy. and he uh, known him for a long time. Uh, he was gone out of the network for a while. But he's, he's back and that's great. Anyway, we were talking about capitalism. And capitalism, of course, is simply it, you, your capital and what you produce or gather, you know, as a hunter-gatherer, is capital. And you can accumulate a certain amount of possessions and you can do... See, like you can go up in the mountains and you can get flint. And we teach that here at the White Rock Festival. They were teaching people how to make things out of obsidian or flint or whatever. But we had a big pile, a whole truckload of uh, that we got from somebody just donated it, and and the kids were going in there and they were chipping this and making arrowheads and making spear points and knife heads. And the guy was teaching them how to do it, and they were they did pretty good, pretty quick. I've done some of that, but I never had anybody coaching me. I probably should have taken the time to learn that, but I was too busy doing other things. Uh, But you can just take this rock that's just laying around on the ground and turn it into a work of art, and now all of a sudden somebody will give you five bucks, ten bucks, twenty bucks, thirty bucks. I mean, you make a nice 
And these things are sharper than what you would get if if you had steel. Because you can get it down to really fine microns. And it's a matter of skill. But you've taken something that was worthless and you made it valuable to other people. And then they will give you something of value. They actually had it. And they will have it every year at the White Rock Festival where they lay out a big blanket and people will put out something and tell you that I'm putting this out. Does anybody have anything they want to trade for this? Some of this stuff is better quality than others. But somebody will have made a basket and they'll put it out and they'll trade it for something else that they want to have. Or somebody will make something, a blacksmith will make something or they'll make some rope or they'll do, because they're teaching all these different skills and people will try to trade it. It it takes a little while to get going, but uh, it's uh, it's free market. But the, the trading is all voluntary. But where the value came from is you. You produced it. You traded it. And we didn't charge you any sales tax when you traded it. <laughs> so, uh, that, that's just the exercise and what, what we do. But that's capitalism is that you take your sweat, your toil, your heartbeats. You get so many heartbeats in this life and then you're dead. You get your heartbeats and you make something of value and you can trade it away and get something that somebody else made of value. Like somebody's raising goats and they're making cheese and you're over here raising cabbage and broccoli and he'll trade you some of his cheese for some of your broccoli. And then you can take some of the broccoli you have and make a fondue and dip your broccoli in the melted cheese. <laughs> and then now he can, he's got, he's got more cheese, but now he's got some broccoli to dip into this, his cheesy fondue. So, or somebody else has chickens and they're making, they got extra eggs and they trade that for this and this for that. And so, that, that was one thing when they were doing all their trading, I didn't see anybody trading food. Uh, of course, I didn't stick around all the time. I, I moved around everything. But that's what we... And we'll probably have that again next year. And it'll probably be in May. And uh, it's the White Rock Gathering. You can go to whiterockgathering.com, I think it is, and find out more about that. And uh, it's a commercial enterprise, but uh, he may create a non-profit organization because he wants to roll the surplus from this back into the church property. That's what he wants to do. We don't have any contract or anything. But uh, he, he wants to do something like that. Uh, we're also going to have the Burning Bush Festival uh, the first weekend of September, which is coming up. And we will have people there and uh, we can talk about that. And so, anyway, I'm going to go back and see if anybody raised their hand. So, anyway... We may cut things short, but uh, I'm actually, I thought I I ate a little rhubarb as I was coming off this fast. And I thought that the tanginess of that rhubarb would help my throat from getting uh, kind of choked up. But probably the sleepless night is taking its toll. But uh, the tardy rhubarb didn't do it. So I'm losing my voice already. So we're not going to get through three hours here. But if there are any questions, I will answer them. And if anybody wants me to talk about a particular topic, I can talk about that. But back to capitalism. 
So capitalism is that, and, and what basically came down to is you have to bring your own morality to capitalism, and, and you have to bring your own choice to capitalism. And, and I I use that quote in responding to of Archibald McLeish, who said, you know, that liberty is the power to choose, and anybody who takes away part of that choice takes away liberty. And of course, if you sign up for one of these systems of legal charity. Uh, they will have redistribution of wealth, but you won't have any choice about what you have to contribute. That will be automatic. There will be some scribe, some gabi, some IRS agent who will decide what you owe. And he will take that away. And that's one of these inventions. And it works really well for a while. But it also works really well to lead you in back into tyranny in the bondage of Egypt. But then there's the kingdom of God, which every time you give, it's a matter of choice. It's a ma- matter of free will offering. You not only get to choose what to give and when to give, but to whom to give it to. And whatever you give, it is counted as paid in full. But there are no entitlements. There's only hope that people will do the same for you. And the actual nature of the spirit that dwelleth in you will be drawn to the nature of the spirit that dwelleth in them. And if you're a selfish son of a gun, you may find yourself in a congregation of a lot of selfish people. You may not. Because God reigns on the just and unjust. Good things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to good people. There's just no guarantee. But in the final analysis, God is in control. So you want to err on the side of the invention of God. And the invention of God was liberty. Where you have the right to choose. And any system you create that decreases that right to choose, individually to choose, decreases liberty. This is why socialism ends up in communism and communism. The ultimate canceling in communism is death. They they take away your life. And you can see that the spirit that was in the Pharisees wanted to take away the life of Christ. They wanted to take away the life of Paul as well. But, like Spears says... You have to be dead already. Dead in Christ. You're already laying down your life. That's okay. With you. And that changes the dynamic. And it allows the Spirit of God to draw near you. And the Spirit of God is indestructible. It is what binds creation together. So the more you draw yourself towards that giving which means you also have to draw yourself towards that forgiving, forgiving and giving, the closer you get to God. The closer you get to God, the closer and more likely you will have the divine spark. So I will finish with this note that everybody should learn to meditate. Everybody should practice meditating. Everybody should learn to forgive. Everybody should practice forgiving. Everybody should learn to give. Give wisely and generously and regularly and fervently 
And they should practice that. And the best way to practice that is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands like Christ commanded. The best way I know, if you know a better way, let us know. You have to raise your hand, let me know. (laughs) But uh, that's the best way to do it. And so, until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.